Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, how's the shape, right? I'm going to show you what you have to do. <laughs> Is what you have to do. So you'll have Christ. to Google that. Everyone <laughs> wonders if that happens in the back of this van. <laughs> Everyone thinks that YouTubers make a million pounds. Oh my God, they definitely do not. I learned to do a backflip in the car. And it started from there and I've got this obsession. I don't know where it comes from. Well, how has that gone for you? Pretty badly over the years. <laughs> I was paralysed. The first thing you do is turn the engine out. The, the kill switch was just here and I was like trying to get to it. My arms didn't work, and I thought, yeah, this, this is bad. Quite a few compression fractures in my back, and that's why I look like I'm, I'm walking along, look like I've shit myself. One of the hardest things to deal with in your career has been stress. It made me ill, sort of working too hard. I had alopecia, lost some of my hair. You also had a legal battle. I can't talk much about it, but this was, it was massive. and. Mark McCann on Road to Success. Good morning. Let me, let me sort these out. Hang on. Two seconds. That's not very professional, is it? There we go. We're right in line now. Uh, so for some backstory, I've yep. followed you for years. You've been one of my favourite social media channels. And I don't actually watch too much YouTube, but how someone could not enjoy someone building a racetrack in their back garden to jump in Lamborghinis upside down, I just do not know. <laughs> so I was unbelievably excited when I got to meet you for the first time recently. Like many of the guests that have been on here at the SEMA show, when we went out as part of the Petrol Hedonism group to SEMA. Was it in the strip club? No. <laughs> I wasn't in one, but I'm just checking whether you were. Uh, no, no, me, no, I'd never do anything like that. Um, <laughs> it was a good trip, that, a very good trip. No, we actually met in the show that time. I think it was afterwards we went to the strip club. <laughs> yeah, we met at, um, at SEMA with the Petrol Hedonism Tour, which Shiro organised, like many of these guests that I've had on. And I've had some brilliant conversations from there. So I've been really pleased that you've made the time to sit opposite us no, and you. tell your story. But no doubt many people here that will be watching this will already know 
a lot about you, but I think there's quite a lot that also people won't know about you that you might like to share to give people some context on your life and how you've got into the position that you have done today. So I start off with the question that I pose to all of my guests at the beginning of the episode, the famous one. Mark, in your own words, who are you and what do you do? Um, <laughs> I suppose um, I'm somebody who, uh, who just likes to have fun, um, family orientated for definite. Um, yeah, I suppose a bit of an idiot would probably be part of the description. Loose cannon. Um, yeah, that's about it. And to be fair, I actually think that's a, a really good way to start because every time I've watched any of your content, I think something that you're brilliant at doing is making people feel happy. And one of the easiest ways to do that is just by smiling. So many people on YouTube don't actually smile a lot, but every time I've watched any of your content, there's one of the biggest, most recognisable grins. This is the last time I'm going to be nice to the bell and tell you <laughs> during this episode because he can be a dick. So... But yeah, there's a, obviously this massive recognisable grin on loads of your content. And if you take that back, was that what you were like as a kid as well? Yeah, I think so. Um, sort of, I've very much been glass half full and I'm lucky that my brain works that way. Um, so yeah, um, yeah, I've always enjoyed life. Um, I've had some good people around me. I've had sort of like nice family, nice friends. So yeah, it makes it a little bit easier. I've just been in a lucky situation with the people around me. And I can tell by your accent, I think most people do. I'm guessing you grew up around where we currently yeah. are. So have you always been in this area? What was life yeah. like growing up? Like what what formed you? What did your, your mum and dad like? What did that um, look like? We sort of like lived, um, my dad sort of had his own business, which always struggled. Um, and in 1984, I was obviously only just born. Um, sort of like things went wrong um, and sort of we they started from there. Um, so I remember as a kid, coming to the factory at the age of six, seven and working and sweeping up and colouring in because this is where we spent our life. We spent our life at work because my mum and dad had to. Um, and as a, as a kid, we never wanted for everything, but we didn't have much. You know, we never, I never went without food or anything like that. It wasn't a hardship, but um, it was a good upbringing because I, I got taught how to earn money, um, had the value of money. Um, and yeah, we, we, I had a good life, like a good, good upbringing. And two sides to every upbringing are the parts when you learn all of the major life lessons like you were just talking about, like money management, how you were grown up, what you had to do to be part of your family. But the other half of most people's upbringing, if they're lucky enough to, is also the hobby, the fun side of it and the thing that captivates them for life. So was your dad or your mum, were they into cars? When yeah. did you have your first memory <laughs> yeah. of something automotive? My dad was, he raced um, a thing called grass track, which is extremely dangerous and even speedway which went all over the world and you sort of race around an ice track with big spikes in your tires um so that was my dad and i was i was brought up from you know a few days old while he raced um and then like i never got to race anything until sort of like he'd finished and we'd sort of earned the money um and then we started bmx racing originally um then motocross really enjoyed motocross uh and then i stopped motocross when my body no longer allowed me to do motocross. Um, and then I found uh, buggies, which is with age comes a cage. So it was uh, like a motocross bike with a, a safety net around me because my collarbones are just, I've broke my neck, my back, legs, arms, wrists. Uh, just, I've been into some, in some horrible situations and now I've found cars. It's just a little bit safer apart from my back. 
So you brought it all a little bit close to home. So when you write it off now, at least in your back garden, yeah, you're close yeah. enough to come indoors and lie down yeah. for a little bit. I've, but, uh, yeah, I, was, I suppose I could still, I've still ended up in a hospital a few times in the back garden, which isn't ideal. So uh, yeah. But when you were, so if we take it into sort of teenage years, sort of between 10 and 20, what were you, were you doing any kind of um, racing for fun in that period? And what were you kind of doing for work? Were you still working in the family business? What did it look like? Yeah. Um, when I left, um, I didn't like school. Um, it's really important school is, but it wasn't for me. Um, I got out of there as soon as I possibly could. Um, and then I was sort of not forced to go into the family business, but sort of expected and felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, so that was engineering. So I worked laves. I sort of banged pieces of metal together, um, did everything apart from welding, wasn't any good at welding. Um, and then we made parts. Um, and then, yeah, um, the car thing came a lot after that, really, um, which I wish I'd have done it beforehand. Um, but yeah, it was very motorbike initially. So what age would you have got into kind of racing cars around and being a nutcase? Um, probably finished motocross at the age of probably 25-ish. Oh, wow, that is quite yeah. late, really. Yeah, maybe 30, actually. Um, just cars obviously was a lot more expensive than than a motocross bike. A motocross bike was a bit of fuel and a tire every now and again. Um, but yeah, like the cars were, were definitely sort of like second and literally, literally because my body wouldn't allow motorbikes anymore. So did you find that as sort of your career, career progressed through life, so did the, the level of the craziness that you're also getting into? Or do you reckon back when you were younger that you were also pretty much just this exuberant, crazy character uh, that always got injured? I can always remember my, my dad was... <laughs> he wanted me to do well and I wanted to do well. So I, put, I put a lot of effort into everything I'd done, uh, which I, I always seem to now. If we're doing something, we're doing it properly. And I remember racing my motocross bike and I remember being that tired and putting so much effort in, the handlebars were somewhere to rest my arms and I was going around like the last few laps, like dicing with a trip to the hospital, which sometimes ended that way. But yeah, it was, um, it was always sort of... Um, I don't think I've answered one of your questions. I keep on going like that. No, you're cool. You're chilled. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, um, yeah, I've always put full effort into everything and enjoyed it. And that full effort that you've put into everything has ended up with, I mean, we've pulled up today at your place of work and you've just got the STO totally covered in shit, parked outside, the baby seat <laughs> in the passenger seat. It just looks incredible. And to be fair, I used to get known by a lot of my friends for that's kind of how... I would also be with my cars and uh, I must, I giggled so much. Well, I hadn't actually seen it on social media when I saw your SVJ for the first yeah. time parked up. I think it was Gravity maybe two years ago, just looking disgusting. And I was like, that's very clever, but also very cool, but very clever. And to roll off, I mean, some of the cars you've got at the minute include Eurus Performante, Hurricane STO, Hurricane Storato, Hurricane STO, Chem Blocks, Rally Car, and a lot more. It's just incredible. But We'll get to that. I know everybody wants to hear that, but I'd like to hear how you've progressed to be able to do that. Because as much as many of us would love a 200k subscriber YouTube channel to fund our entire lives and just have a lot of fun, I want to make it very real for people that you've had quite the career throughout your life and alongside everything that you've done. And I'd love to start with kind of where you were with your motocross bikes, 25 years old. What was kind of going on from then onwards? Um, Obviously, we had the family business and that was very much um, a late night finish every single day and um, most Saturdays as well. Um, and then 
I started my own little business on the side called Fro Systems, which was a motocross brand, and that did that did okay as well. Um, and then I've always been a a buyer and seller, like a I've bought and sold all sorts of shit over the years. Like it was stuff like um, Debenhams and Argos returns. So I used to buy the stuff on a pallet um, and then fix what I could, repair what I could, clean what I could, and then sell things through little booklets because eBay wasn't a thing when I was that that young. Um, and yeah, just sell stuff, um, just buying all sorts of, of I've bought children's clothes from Debenhams, all car boot stuff really, and spent my weekends when I wasn't working, just earning cash <laughs> back in the day when cash was a thing. So yeah, I built stuff up from um, from there really, and buying and selling is what I've always been brought up to do. And when was your first major break with work or business? Um, I remember... Um, I bought a load of the, the kids' clothes I talked about. Um, I bought these Debenhams kids' clothes, and I, I bought a lot, a lot. Like, I, I, I don't know, maybe 20,000 pieces. It was a lot of stuff. Um, and they were very, very cheap because it was end of line. And I, I remember that Debenham said to me, like, the only thing I've got to do is cut the labels out, um, cut the labels out and cut the price tags I forgot to do that. So then we went to the, we went to the car boot sale and these these items back then, kids' clothes were so expensive. The kids' clothes was like 15 quid and we were selling them for four quid. And my God, like they'd each cost me about 30p and the stuff we used to so sell the margins was, you were making was massive. And there's not really any overhead on that either, no, is there? It was like seven quid for a stall at the, at, at the car boot. And sometimes we used to take a grand, two grand in, you know, it was... For a day's work, it was amazing. But obviously, like everything else, it doesn't last longer. Then you have to find the new thing, which was, there's been all sorts of stuff. Memory cards, SD cards, shake weights. Do you remember a shake weight? What all the hell is a shake weight? Uh, yeah. You'd have, I'm going to show you what you have to do. <laughs> is what you have to do. So you'll have Christ. to Google that. Everyone <laughs> wonders if that happens in the back of this van. <laughs> is it never? Well, I did, I did have the adult entertainer on. And uh, when the door opened and I asked the delivery driver saw us getting out, he gave me the nod of he'd certainly thought something that <laughs> happened in the back of the van, even though to my displeasure it hadn't. I love it. <laughs> but, um, so what, what the hell is? So it was it was basically a fitness thing, which basically important stuff from China, the latest fad and sort of doing that. And what's the latest thing we've had? iPhone screen covers. Um, currently, the big one which we lost. Which, which you do win and lose, fidget spinners. Yeah. Like we went into fidget spinners when fidget spinners were new. We sold thousands of them and now I've got probably 20,000 in the warehouse at home. So so you've always just been buying and selling stuff in the background on in the, the back, side as well? Because yeah, yeah. this exploded in lockdown. It's fair to say that people exploded with buying and selling stuff. I remember uh, my other half was in the garage flipping clothes on Vinted, but everybody was doing it. There's now well-known brands you can buy wholesale pallets of clothing online and flip them. And I yeah. think the margins must just not be there anymore. Yeah, so probably. is that something that you've had to deal with throughout your career, basically trying to find the next fad, the next thing yeah. that's going to blow up? But the work we do with the engineer, we make ratchet straps so that uh, we supply Tesco, Sainsbury's, like all the people, the high street stores. So I think a lot of the doors open from there. So talking to people when we were delivering there and they tell, you know, what you're doing with the old stock and stuff like that. So it was a, probably a lot easier for me to get it and less competition back then. 
And when you went to the car boot sales, then there would be an old scale electric or, you know, there wasn't stuff like I was selling, you know, I was selling new brand new clothes at massively discounted prices and new items. And we had some of the stuff we used to have on the pallets used to open the pallet and there'd be like a, a sandwich toaster, which was green with mold where somebody had like returned it like 12 months before. And then you'd find a bit of gold. You, you, they were all shrink wrapped in black plastic. And then you'd find a TV, which was like a 32 inch TV with a missing remote. You'd buy a remote from the shop for a tenner and you'd make three times the amount that you paid for the pallet. So it was always, you know, then you'd have <laughs> vacuums which stunk of dog hair. So it wasn't all good. I mean, now, I mean, I, I've even fluttered with doing bits like that when I was between kind of what I was going to do with my life, but people would just like return anything if it has a scratch on it these days. So it sounded like you were doing that potentially in the golden years. I'm trying to get a scale of how big that kind of was. Because when you say 20,000 pieces of clothing, I can't really picture how much space, how much work yeah. that would have been to get through that kind of thing. And I'm trying to kind of build up a picture for the viewers of, of your kind of career. And we're basically saying that in the warehouse, in the back garden, you were flipping clothes for a lot of the, your life. Yeah, clothes. Um, yeah. Um, anything I could buy and sell. That we've, we've dabbled in BMXs. We've dabbled in uh, like yeah, all sorts of mountain bikes as well. That did really Stuff well. Stuff that you're passionate about. Yeah, that that was very much like that. Um, bike parts from China. There was, we've always had a, like a a massive like a, to give you an example. Probably we were probably selling about in the heyday, probably about three thousand pound a day on eBay. So it was like it was really really good. Um, and it, it was, a, a, it was, a, but like, like I say, all of a sudden what you had would become out of fashion or lots of people would have hold of it and then you'd lose money on the last bit. So it was almost, it was always building up nicely. And then I've always been, I've always been taught not to waste money. I'm not a waster of money. I like to turn lights off. I like to, I like to. I watched sure you walking around SEMA. <laughs> I remember everything to do with the hotel rooms, yeah. the flights, the cost of a slice of pizza. Yeah, well, that pizza nearly killed me. <laughs> Honestly, it was ridiculous. I'm, I'd rather, on the way there, go to the garage, get a pack of crisps and a sandwich. A slice of pizza? I can't remember. I think it was $14. For a slice of piece of this bit. All I remember is we we were really hungry, and the viewers hate me butting in, but I must tell this. We were really hungry, and I was walking over with Mark, who I hadn't known long either, and I'm, wow, it's Mark McCann, he's got these amazing cars, he's so cool. We're walking over to get a slice of pizza, and he saw the price of the pizza, and you looked at me and you went, are you really going to pay that for that pizza? (laughs) And I went, yeah, I'm hungry. And he went, I'd rather die <laughs> in front of the group to do with a slice of pizza. It obviously does show that that's something that you've always thought about is actually not being wasteful, even when there's so much flamboyance potentially to the public's eye around it. Yeah, definitely. Sort of. Um, yeah, if I go anywhere, I, I pack a pack a lunchbox for definite. So um, yeah, I've I've always not not definitely not tight or but just sensible. I. I I always like people to make money. I love that that's how the world works. But then I hate people taking the piss. Like I, I, I remember we went to Dubai on holiday and like it was unbelievable. I remember spending eight pounds for a can of Coke and that's me done with Dubai. You know, like I'm never going back there again. And I think it's a little bit like that. Like I don't like, like people taking the piss. So, because I would never the other way around. So 
I don't know. I don't know if you call that tight or sensible. I'm not sure. But no, well, it's obviously worked because it's got you to where you are today. And I think just to continue, just part of this journey, was the engineering business always in the background then? Because you yeah. clearly know your stuff when it comes to actually the inner workings and more so the motoring of cars. And that's from a background in engineering. So did you say you guys are making ratchet straps for the likes yeah. of Tesco's and yeah, we we sell probably straps a day, probably about three thousand straps a day. So we we do a lot. We're a big company, um, and the company Cymark, um which was my granddad, my dad, now it's me and my brother. Um, it's always been my main focus because it's always been where I've earned my wages and my security, paid for my, you know, pays for my mortgage. <clears throat> so work itself has always been definitely sort of like my main focus and all the other bits I've employed people, done it at night time, worked till two o'clock in the morning for years. You know, that's always been the second half of it, but it's almost been, you know, getting two lots of wages because I was doing four jobs. So you were the king really. of an on-the-side business before on-the-side businesses were a thing. Yeah, yeah. I was definitely sort of, um, I was definitely sort of like, it made me ill though. It made me ill sort of working too hard. I lost, I had alopecia, lost some of my hair, stress, didn't do me any favours. So I wouldn't sort of recommend going too hard. <laughs> and did I also remember, recall one of our conversations that you also had a legal battle as part of that part of your career journey. Yeah, I did. Um, I can't talk much about it. Um, but yeah, that was horrific. Um, we made a part, a product which was safety-based. Um, and one of the bigger brands came after us and sort of took me to, we went all the way to high court, which was like, it was that big that I was in London and the court next door was um, Heather Mills and Paul McCartney sorting out their divorce. So like this was... It was massive and that made me really ill, made me really, really ill and um, <clears throat> found out who my friends were at that stage because it was a pretty, pretty crap place to be. Yeah, ex expensive store, like lesson in life. So do you think then one of the biggest lessons in life is so far, one of the hardest things to deal with in your career has been stress? Um, yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's why um, surrounding yourself by the right people is really important because you've got that real hard work and the you know the worry but then when you get home or you've got a smiling face and not a negative person and happiness in the house and happiness around friends um like i say i've been so lucky with the people around me the people around me have been really really good people so you know i've never been this will sound boring i've never smoked a cigarette i've never took any type of drug like i wasn't in that circle I was in the circle of people wanted a race and people who were like not obsessed with being fit and healthy, but we had a very, um, a very sheltered sort of like life where Uplifting. we, yeah. And like, you know, I wasn't involved with anything bad or nasty. Um, so yeah, that, that definitely helped to, um, so yeah, I wasn't, um, yeah, the stress thing was definitely always an issue. Um, always an issue. I get, um, even now I get like shingles um, from stress and yeah, I've got habits of yeah not doing myself any favours. So what was the worst that had ever been? Um, losing my hair was was pretty pretty bad and, and it's usually down to not eating properly, not drinking properly, you know, just being too busy and not stopping for a break. Um, sounds like a, some sort of sad story, doesn't it? But no, no, no it's, it's, but it's just, part of everybody's thing. Look, there's, there's highs. I was just thinking a minute ago, we could have easily overlaid uh, a clip when you were talking about how unbelievably 
perfect you are with the cash and not wasteful of him landing a Storato on its nose yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. back garden. but it really does um, come through that through all those fun times that you have with doing things and, and the fruits of your hard labour there, there's it's good to get across to people that there's also ridiculously tough times as well like when you see a smiley face on YouTube 24-7 and one popping up in front of you, a lot of those kids watching, a lot of those people that might be in tough points must be thinking, oh, bloody hell, it looks all right for that guy. Or a lot of the guests that I have on the podcast. But what you're being open about, it's not always like that then. No, um, my dad was always at work. Um, we'll talk about my dad in a bit, but my dad, my dad was always at work. Um, my mom she's not going to see this but yeah she was she was an alcoholic when i was growing up so that was that was that was a that was a big part of my my life when i was younger because you know like i say we definitely went didn't go without food or anything like that you know we had a nice we we, we had a nice upbringing but you know i had to learn to cook my own tea when i was like 11 and 12 and 13 and look after myself because but i feel like, like all of that my mom was in that situation not on her own fault. And I understand alcoholism now and it it really isn't a choice. And she was in a bad situation, which she's not in anymore. Um, She's like clean for a long time. Um, But yeah, that was a a great life lesson to, which I think all the like, it's like when I was in court with my mom, with what's happened with my dad, it all becomes around as a positive. It makes you a stronger person. And, you know, all the bits, I feel that none of them have ever hurt me. They've just sort of made me better and stronger and understand life. And, you know, I feel like I've got a good a good array of skills from the situations I've been in. Would you say that when you're in those situations, and I'm kind of in my own mind without going into them, re- seeing some real similar bits and bobs actually that I can relate to there, but would you say that when you're in those situations, it feels like it's the end of the world? Yeah, it was the, the, bit, the bit which was hard was arguments and raised voices and stuff like that was really really dark times and sort of things which you remember as a kid which are imprinted in your brain and that's why with my daughter now and with my wife we're never gonna have those times we're never like i don't like shouting raised voices i want a happy life and you know again sort of it teaches you a lot doesn't it sort of like anger and hatred and yeah of of smiling is a it's a massive thing isn't it it's a massive thing um, um happiness I, I remember I, I heard somebody yesterday and he said um oh god let me just think this you'll have to um it's all right go for it um what is it um we're all thinking of that i'm gonna raise your mic up a little bit so he said happiness was I'll, I'll start it again That's happiness right. was rolling. the more you think about happiness is like an orgasm he said the more you think about it the harder it is <laughs> and that has just completely stumped the one that I was going to say which is do you think the saying you can keep um, oh this is my dad's one you can't keep all of the people happy all of the time. You can only keep some of the people happy some of the time. Yeah. Would you true. say that that's correct? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I can definitely write that. Yeah. But it certainly looks like, and this is what we'll get onto now, it's been amazing to kind of discuss your career and how you got to where you are today and the ability to actually fund this incredible journey you've been on. But I feel like we've also kind of skipped over 
Alongside a lot of this stuff, there has been some crazy stuff that you've got up to in the past with motoring and vehicles. Should we go over some of that from maybe those BMXing days to working up alongside what we've just spoke about career-wise? Yeah. What's that? That's, we'll stop that. Oh, perfect. So talk to us about some of your antics when you're going up through the selling Debenhams clothes phase after you've broken numerous bones on bicycles up to the age of 25. When did you get into some of your mad car stuff and what were you up to? Um, I started racing um, off-road buggies, which I really enjoyed, so dirt. Um, and yeah, that was a, a massive part. Like I found I was a lot better at four wheels than I was, ever was at two, um, which I didn't realise. And I sort of found out a little bit too late. So I was really lucky to win win a lot of stuff in the buggy in. Um, but I was into stunts, uh, probably a bit more than probably I should have been. So I learned to drive on two wheels and then I learned to do a backflip in the car. Um, and yeah, so like I bought a big airbag, built a massive, great big ramp and managed to sort of do a back somersault in a car. Um, and it started from then and I've got this obsession I don't know where it comes from. I've got an obsession with jumping cars. I don't know why, but I have got a real <laughs> unhealthy obsession of seeing how far I can jump cars. And how has that gone for you? Pretty badly over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about it. So, I don't know. Um, yeah, I've, I've raced, I've raced buggy and I've raced stock car racing, um, uh, which is, again, pretty dangerous. And um, yeah, I've been, yeah, I was paralyzed for about not too long, only about sort of 15 minutes. That wasn't ideal. Um, that was a big, a big crash at Stoke. Um, yeah, hit the, got hit the wall really hard, got crashed with somebody, um, got cut out. But I remember, I remember sat there and the, the engine running and obviously the first thing you do is turn the engine out and the, the kill switch was just here. And I was like trying to get to it and it, my arms didn't work and my legs didn't work. And I thought, yeah, this, this is bad. Jane was there. Um, she, um, yeah, she was just pregnant and obviously that wasn't a good situation as well to put her through that. Um, and yeah, about after, after a little while I spent, um, spent a while in hospital that time in a, in a brace and stuff like that. That wasn't ideal. And then I've had quite a few compression fractures through my back, through my bum. So sort of like my spine, that's why I look like I'm I'm walking along, look, I've shit myself. I know I, I, know, I, know I work, work <laughs> horrifically bad and my back's like a flipping, like that shape. But yeah, like back really since. And then I had a little incident the other week on a scooter, which didn't help, so it broke my nose. So I was, about, I was about to say, with Jane going through that from the other side and you being in hospital, uh, does she ever say... Maybe it's time just to back off a little bit. <laughs> Do you know, that's the amazing thing about that woman. She doesn't, she doesn't, she ne I don't, the only, do you know, the only thing she said to me was when I was racing the stock car racing, this thing called stocks carts, amazing fun, ran by a fantastic bloke, loads and loads of fun, loads of great people there. Very, very exciting, very dangerous. Um, she saw the danger in that. Um, I managed to become uh, like, uh, I won the world final in that which was an amazing day and uh, you know to to have this gold roof it's called and you start at the back for the next year it was, it was amazing it was it was amazing times and like i still got some brilliant friends from there but she said to me one day she said i don't want you to do that anymore and i was like 
and I've never well I've actually ridden, drove once when she was on holiday but I've never <laughs> <laughs> but I've, I've never put a, she said to me I don't want to go I don't need to do it anymore so I stopped simple as that because she has to she has to put up with a lot and see a lot and as soon as she told me that she didn't enjoy it and she stood there scared then I was like I didn't want to put her through that because the other way around is not acceptable I wouldn't want her to do stuff which endangered her life so yeah I do listen to her what kind of racing is this thing so if it's from someone that my background I'm trying to get my head around all of it I absolutely love Formula One, massive Formula One fan. Not quite as much as Steve that sits over there who's followed it since the good old days and regularly tells me that I'm just a drive to survive fan and all the rest of it. But I've recently started becoming a lot more obsessed with watching rallying through the woodlands in Norway, Wales, all the rest. It looks amazing. So I'm trying to paint a picture when you're talking about stock cars and buggies. Are you doing this like I'm pretty sure you were professionally, like the top parts of those series and you um, won some stuff as well. Like tell us about what you won and what you did. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've been really lucky. I've been uh, 13 times British champion in the buggies. And 13? 13, yeah. I, I had a good run in, <laughs> in, in buggy because I was racing two classes at the same time. I was I was really, really massively into that. Um, and then stock carts I won the world final um so yeah really really privileged to, to do really really well in those in those situations um oh, I can't remember what the question was what have you you just said you won 13 times the question was what had you won what were those series like were uh, they so professional the so what was stock yeah, cars so, so stocks cars it's like it's like go-karting sort of similar sort of size to a go-kart but with a roll cage okay they do about 60 mile an hour you're that far off the floor and there's like loads of you like probably 45 on an oval a dirt or a tarmac oval but the thing with that is there's pretty much no rules which is why it's very dangerous so if i if you were by the side of me i'm quite within my rights to just wipe you out (laughs) so does that lead to some sort of fisticuff moments at a few of the events no because they're very strict on any of that so they you have to do it on the track so what it does create is a lot of um getting people back so there's a lot of feuds and you'll see some there's there's another f1 which is like the pinnacle of their sport which is not f1 like you like f1 this is f1 stock car racing and there's a few people who are exceptional at that and they literally they come to their world world final and their only reason they're on that start line is to make sure that somebody else doesn't win so they're literally like so the lessons, it's amazing. The lessons I learned, like when you're in a, a really important race and you can't catch the people up in front and there's a gap, what they'll do is they'll come to lap somebody who's like not so good and they'll put lamb to the slaughter. So they'll wipe them out so that there's a red flag. So then everyone it neutralizes the race. That's how sort of like um it's it's pretty ruthless. And how many races are there in a season and where do you go to do it? Um there's all sorts of places, older shops. There was Birmingham. There's up in Oddsall, up in um, Yorkshire Way. There's they're, they're scattered everywhere. It's re- really, really good series. You can even arrive and drive. So you can rent one for the day. And I make it sound like it's dangerous because it is, but it's not like particularly life-threatening, but it does hurt. When you hit a, um, a steel fence, it does tend to hurt. Um, so that, yeah, that that was that was the stock car racing. Um, boogieing. It's basically on a motocross track, so it's jumping like massive jumps, big jumps, um, which is what I was into. Um, uh, we've raced 
in England and then done quite a lot in Europe as well. So we went over to Europe because I wanted to be European champion. So I did well at England and then I wanted to go conquer Europe. And twice when I was over there, I was winning two years in a row and had a mechanical breakdown, which so I never, so I never, uh, never won that, which was, which was, and then COVID came. So that stopped that European series. So that was a shame. And then this year I've done focus, focus cup racing. So it's the first time on tarmac, which was really, really fun. So that's um, arrive and drive in a two litre diesel, um, 10 year old focus. And that's, that's a lot of fun. A lot, a lot of fun. And, this probably brings me on nicely because um, just mentioning that was up to the end of kind of 2020. You've got some amazing cars, but one of those cars, probably the one that, if which is amazing because I reckon you're either more well known for the dirty SVJ or the fact that you have one of Ken Block's old cars. So do you want to yeah. talk about how the hell that came about and why you have that and that's so special to you? Yeah, um, I bought it obviously um, about a year before Ken sadly passed away. Um, so he was, he went to Audi, um, and he was selling some of his Ford stuff off. Um, I got offered the car, um, and they said like, it'd be a nice place for the car to be with me because I'd use it. Um, and so, yeah, he was like my hero, literally my hero. I've watched his videos and always aspired to always do a Jim Carner is what I always dreamed of doing. And I've tried to do that in the buggy in, but never got the funds to do that. Um, yeah, I ended up buying his, the car, the car, the Fiesta RX 43, which literally is the car. It's the one which has done, you know, world rally, dirt Carner, Gincana grid. It was the Dubai car, the one with the cheetah in the seat. It was like, it was the car race, Lewis Hamilton. So I bought that. Um, very scary to spend the money I did on that car. Um, but my friend owns a Bayless and Harden, a soap company, really, really nice guy. And he said to me, he said to I, me, I know that's a really famous name yeah, actually. So I, I am, he's a very, very clever man. And he said to me, um, if you don't want it, I'll have it. So it gave me a safety net. So I thought I'll have it. And if I get into trouble and need the money, you know, hopefully he'll buy that off me. Um, and which sort of like, I'm pretty sure he would have because he wanted the car as well when, when I talked to him about it. So, it, you know, it gave me a bit of confidence. But then obviously, unfortunately now, everything changed um, with the car after what happened with Ken. Um, and it's become not, it took a lot of enjoyment out of the car because the car was my car to buffoon around and do what I wanted. And now it's a very special part of his, his life, which is, you know, um, it's just, you know, I can't crack. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Shit, I can't roll it. I can't set it on fire. With all the other stuff, nobody would care. But with that, I've got to be respectful that, you know, because people want to see it. People love to see it. People cry when they see it. You know, it's a, if you're into Ken Block, this is a big part of Ken Block. So uh, it's all, it's been a little bit difficult since then um, because, you know, I have messages all the time, like break everything, but don't break that. So, you know, there is a, um, and obviously financially, uh, there's been a big difference in the car as well. So do you still think that you'll keep that car? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like, I, I love it. it. Even like me and Reese, um, Reese's, uh, the, the guy who films with me, great lad. We were looking at it last night and stood there looking at it, just thinking, oh my God, like you know, the gold handbrake and all that, like looking at it, thinking, I can't believe it's here. And I feel like it's sort of like a retirement fund. You know, if and when I need to sell it, it's there. But I think that much of Ken and love what he did that. I definitely don't want to sell it, but obviously if finances mean I have to and my family comes first, then maybe one day I will, but at the minute it's it's definitely not for sale. Why am I seeing the Mark McCann Museum in my head? Yeah. <laughs> with, that as a, with that as a centrepiece, that yeah. as well as some tickets, that would for sure. Yeah, I don't think I'll get that. With that. My local council are not that keen on me. So. No, they don't like me at the minute. But I don't know what it is with councils. But what other... So you've mentioned you've got that incredible car. It's a, that is a huge piece of history at the minute. And it's really cool to see with the whole um, Hoonigan thing that's going on at the minute. Leah Block's taking the wheel. I watched her drive the other day in the pink Porsche. It was just amazing. You can just see that she's naturally talented and got that from her dad. Um, what do you think about some of the stuff that's going on there? Yeah, like um, I've my good friend um, is a guy called Terry Grant, a stunt guy. Yeah, I've known from Autosport. I was yeah, going to mention yeah, Autosport from, actually. So um, he he's he was a like um, he's very well known and very well connected in that world, um, and I'm pretty sure Leah. Um, will drive that car. I think she will. Um, I hope she will. She, th there's talk that she's going to come to Watersport this year. Um, if she can, she was going to come to Goodwood. And we were told she was coming to Goodwood with her mom. Um, and then if she had a done, she'd have probably driven the car up the hill because I drove it up the hill. So I'd have been more than happy for her to have a go. So, like, it'd be lovely to see her in that car. I don't know whether she's driven it as a kid. I wouldn't have thought she has because she's not very old now, is she? So I don't know whether she would have driven it. Um, but yeah, it'd be great. As a complete circle, it would be fantastic to see her have a go in that car. What's it like for you when you're sat on the start line of Goodwood Festival of Speed, about to go up the hill in Ken Block's car that just happens to be yours and think about everything else that you've come to achieve over the years? Do you feel quite quite humbled like, like is there a pinch yeah. me moment what is your pinch me moments this this year goodwood gives me goosebumps now it was like i got i've always wanted to drive up goodwood hill and because of that car and for no other reason i got the invite to to you know to go up goodwood hill and i remember st i was trying to i was trying to sort of like let go of the clutch and my leg was shaking and i said to nick i was like i'm gonna stall it and and he was like, no, and we were filming it. He was like, okay, I'm going to stall it. And like literally Travis Pastrana, like 
all, all the big names, Sebastian, Sebastian Vettel, everybody's there. And as I pulled off, I stalled it. Uh, <laughs> and Nick, Nick just went... He's a man of his word. <laughs> that is literally what I would do. I actually remember Schaefer. We were we we were SEMA. You didn't come this night, but we went to a great big car meet in the middle of LA, and he was there in his um, R34 Skyline that he shipped out to uh, Vegas for SEMA, and he was pulling out of this show, getting ready to go down the dual carriageway. Bang, stalled it in front of 200 people. I, I was the only one stood there. I reckon going, "Yep, that'd have been me." Yeah, it's <laughs> easy, easy done, easy done, and. Yeah, it was pretty scary and the car was, it's not made for going up Goodwood Hill. You know, it's meant for short sprints and sidewardsness and, you know, not particularly, it's definitely not meant for that. And I remember going down to the start line and like I was so scared, so scared. It was unbelievable. Really, really worried about it. Been to the toilet 50 times, just stressing, stressing, stressing. And I remember sat there and there was Tom Christensen in front of me. Then there was me and then there was... So, uh, Travis Pastrana so it was literally Tom Christensen Mark from Redditch and Travis Pastrana and I, was, I remember sat there thinking well, I said it on film I was like what the how have we got here you know I'm Mark from Redditch and 50 people beforehand have asked me for the photo and I'm like why would you want it doesn't make sense that why anyone would want a photo of me you know it doesn't make sense but I understand as well that I watch people on YouTube and it is you know, it is weird to meet those people in person because you almost feel like you know them. So people are always coming up to me at Goodwood and saying, oh, like, you know, and they're talking to you and they, they, then they go, oh, I forgot you don't know who I am. Because they see you every day or every week. They just assume they're sort of like friends. Um, and it blows my mind even now. I feel so honoured when people say, can I have your photo? Can you sign something? I just think, aim higher. <laughs> it's hard because I with the podcast when people watch them it for an hour they also think they start to know your personality and all the rest of it and the first times I've had it I've been trying to get kind of used to it the more it happens not a lot just every now and then but sometimes I feel I don't know like I I feel a huge weight of responsibility not to make that person think that I'm a dickhead yeah, even when I think I'm a dickhead and you're definitely a dickhead so how do you do it? <laughs> yeah no I totally agree it's um, yeah you don't want people walking away thinking and that's why I try to give everybody the time I can you know if people want to you know say hello I feel honored to do that and um yeah it's it's it is it it definitely is a sort of um a worry that people are but as long as you yourself and you know you appreciate that people do want to you know say hello which like I say still blows my mind you know and I feel like I'm cheating as well I feel like I'm too new you know when we when we were going at British Motor Show, this year I didn't feel so bad, but the year before I was on the stage with Scott Rasserossa, Adam C, Jack McNeil, um, definitely forgot somebody which they hate me for. Um, and I was sat on the stage and Chiro and Sam were sort of... Or to Alex. Um, no, I, 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 Alex was too big by then. Oh, okay. He, he, he had his own section. <laughs> he had his own little time slot. We were all together having a bit each. Um, and we were sat there and... Um, I didn't feel like I deserved the right to be there. I, like, you know, people, you know, they'd say to the public then, you know, has anybody got any questions? And everybody was having a question asked by the public apart from me. And I felt like, you know, this is a bit, felt a bit out, um, which is, all, it's so difficult when, even now, you know, when I've been places and there's Matt Armstrong and Tavarish and, 
you know, Auto Alex and these people, they're, they're a different level. And although there's still people and still friends and stuff and that, it is difficult to be around people who are so successful. And although what we've done with our channel, I know is really great and we've got great numbers and most people would die for those numbers. It's still difficult when you're surrounded by people who, like I say, are, are just way beyond what I could ever, ever dream of. But then I suppose success is measured by different factors. And I was going to touch on the fact, I'm glad we've got to the point about what you're doing now on, on the side, I guess. Though I guess there's always this thing yeah, on the side. Is, yeah. And on the side now is your YouTube channel. You're growing, you're just approaching 200,000 subscribers. You've got a huge following of it on Instagram, over 100,000 subscribers. And I appreciate in a world where we've got Shmi150s at two and a half million subs and Matt Armstrongs that have just been ticking them, boom, just, just grown uh, into the strap. And I've had the pleasure of having Matt on here and having a chat with him. But when you actually just talk to him, we're all on the same level, yeah. etc. But I guess success is measured in different factors. And to, to sit opposite someone who's Hurricane STO is parked outside to go back and join. Do you want to just roll off some of the cars you've currently got in the garage, starting with Lambos? <sighs> it's embarrassing to say. Um, I feel like that. Um, <laughs> go on. So. I know how lucky I am. I know how lucky I am. So, um, uh, Serato, great car, STO, Eurus Perth, Aventador SVJ. Um, and then I've got a Gallardo GT3 car, which is pretty cool. Um, which is of, um, uh, uh, yeah, that's more the modern stuff with that. Um, with the Lambos, I'd love sort of like some of the old stuff, but Again, with the cars, what I try and do is invest and make money out of the cars, another sort of almost like another sideline. So I'll only really buy stuff which I feel confident is either going to not lose money or make money. Um, uh, so yeah, there's, there's some Mercs, there's, yeah, there's a bit of everything. There. And is it, is it all, and there's some old rally cars as well, no? Yeah. Um, I've got some, like, really fortunate to have some great, um, I've got, an Audi S1 recreation, which is really, really smart, like the um, Audi short wheelbase. I've got an original uh, Ford RS200 um, Group B rally car. Um, and I've just got a Metro 6R4 as well, which is like, which has always been my absolute dream car. So I've got one of those. Um, a Fiesta modern day rally car, a thing called an R5, which is... One that you can probably actually use. Yeah, which, which doesn't <laughs> break as much. Um, yeah, so there's some... I'm into my motorsports. I've got um, Timmy Hansen's World Rallycross car as well, which is, that that's pretty amazing as well. So stuff which, like it does 0 to 60 in under three seconds, you know, it's uh, it's mental fast. You know, they only do 100 mile an hour, but they get there ridiculously fast. And you talk about the cars being um, another form of investments, which is also how I justify them to my mum. <laughs> <laughs> However, the reality is your SVJ, if it went up for sale, would be spoken about for say, uh, with maybe some of the stuff that you've put it through from a few people, a few people it may not bother. So what, what's your plans with that car? Which if you don't know for a bit of context is usually covered in mud looking like it's just been round your rally circuits. It probably has. Yeah, it has. Yeah. Uh, do you know what? It's a real difficult on the SVJ, isn't it? Because what, I don't know. Like, I don't really want to sell it anyway because it's such a big part of my life now. Um, uh, because of YouTube, um, you know, the places that car, 
the privileged places it's taken me to and the people I've met. Like the British, because of that car, you and Thomas, the the Olympian, came up to me at the British Motor Show, and I was like sat there going, "That's you and Thomas." Wow, it's you and Thomas. And he comes over and says, oh, can I have a selfie with you? I'd like to meet you. And I'm like, just, uh, and that's because of that SVJ, you know, and um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you'd do with that because is it sellable? Is it not sellable? Like, it's only a bit of dirt which cleans off. At the end of the day, it's not, you know, it's definitely not smashed to pieces. It's still the same shape as it was to start with. All the carbon fibre bits are still on it. So, you know, nothing's, it's a bit of dirt and where I live down the, the country lanes like this time of year there's pointless cleaning the car because it looks the same you know one mile later it looks horrific again so I feel like I'm saving water doing a bit for the for the planet and uh, yeah saving my time justifying things well. <laughs> yeah <laughs> what does a car mean to you um just it's a really good question. Depends what it is. And I find it difficult to sort of say some of this because I understand to some people, a lot of people, £250 car is a dream and they want their own car. And then we're sort of like not doing particularly great things to a £250 car. But the way I justify it is I buy a car from the scrapyard. We use it, we play with it, we mess with it, we sell bits off it, we sell it back to the scrapyard and don't lose any money. So all I'm doing is giving that car a little bit of extra life. So it's probably done 100,000 miles of boringness and I've just given it the best 50 miles of its life before it's then in a lot of pieces. But they don't, I haven't got much sentimental value or um, sympathy for a car sometimes. Um it's a difficult one because I understand it's money, but I feel like as long as we've made content out of that and it's paid for itself or I can get my money back because it's a value, you know, it's going up in appreciating value. So I like to justify it that it's okay. <laughs> what does work mean to you? Is work just a means to, mo means to motors or do you enjoy um, what you do? I used to enjoy it a lot more. I still enjoy it. I enjoy being here. I enjoy working with the people I work with. They're nice people. We've got good people. But realistically, it's it's a means to live in. Like I don't, if I got the choice, I wouldn't come to work. That's for certain, if I had the choice. But I've got a lot of, it was my dad's business. Um, so I've got, a, you know, and, and, and my mom's. And I can't just turn my back on that and my brother doesn't want to either um but yeah it's i'm definitely i'd definitely rather be at home playing in cars than here that's for certain so what's your brother like in comparison to you um he's about as different as it could be he's not he's not really into the stuff he used to race motocross um he's got um two beautiful little daughters and a wife um and I don't really socialise with him at all because it's really difficult with family when you work together. You know, if if you don't see your brother very often, then you have to go out for a meal with him or a drink with him. Well, I see my brother every day and I see my sister-in-law three times a week, you know. So, like, I miss his kids and Sander doesn't get to play with his kids as much because of probably that. So, what, what I will say about family business, it's really, one thing which is really good is if you're at work and you fall out with somebody 
you have this big thing and you'll never speak to each other again and one of you has to leave or something like that. With family, we've had proper fights as family business is really hard. And then the next day it's forgotten about. You know, you have to continue the next day like it didn't happen. There's no grudges. So there's, you know, there's good and bad things, but working with family is very, very, very difficult. Very difficult, but yeah. Has that become easier over the years with the age? Yeah. And what does he think about everything that you get up to with the cars? <laughs> I'm not really sure. To be honest. <laughs> You've never asked. No, no. I feel embarrassed around friends. I was very, very. You, you're probably, you'd probably be, be able to relate to this. It's. I remember doing YouTube was fine in my back garden, and then I had to do it in front of people, which I found really difficult. And then I had to do it in front of my friends, which I found really difficult, the next level, and then in front of my family. And now I can do it in front of everybody. But it's, um, yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I know that, I know um, my nieces, like obviously people at her school know who I am. And I take my daughter to school and then you go on, you know, you, you're you're at somebody's four-year-old birthday party and they come up to you and say, oh, I love your YouTube channel. You think, oh God, oh. Like it, it can be quite embarrassing, um, you know, when people <laughs> you don't think know about it. And so, yeah, and Senna's going to grow up with a bit of that as like, I'm far from famous by any means, but you know, there is people who watch our stuff who are in our circles, even kids in their class. So, yeah. And one of my favorite uh, videos I've ever seen of yours, in fact, it definitely is my favorite video. And I sat there and I watched, ate my dinner and I absolutely loved it, was you built a track in your back garden. And the reason I loved that is because I was building a lake in my back garden. It wasn't actually just the whole process, but it was also how it was edited. It was everything. And I remember seeing you there and I thought he is a, such a family man. And it was also met, when I met you at Seam, I thought the same thing. Because I love how you included your other half and your daughter Senna in that video as well, walking over the track, seeing all the bits. And it just seemed to put it together really well. But how the hell did you come up with the idea to kind of create that in your own back garden? Where would you even start? How the hell did you come about building a race car in the, your back Bottom. garden? Um, race track, sorry. Race track. How did you come about building a race track in your back garden? When, when I moved to my house, it was a, a derelict house at the time. Um, and I lived in a caravan on the driveway um, not for long because it was too cold. It was winter. Um, but the first thing I did was build a motocross track in the back garden. Um, and uh, yeah, that was there for a long time. And now I've got the rights to have the lumps and bumps of the natural ground. Um, and we changed it recently into a, a car track when I stopped buggying. So all we did was smooth out the ruts and sort of like make things a lot more easy on a, on a car. Um, but yeah, it's... Um, it's it's amazing to have that in my back garden. I can see it from like my bedroom and stuff as well. So sort of like like looking over that and just thinking, wow, like. I'm, so did amazing. you have to smooth that out for the Storato and stuff like that? Did you have to get planning permission to build the track? No, because it's it's basically um, we we haven't done any engineering work. So if you build a jump or anything like that, you have to. But all the the bumps and jumps we've got have been there for like twenty five or twenty years or something. So. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I haven't broke any planning rules just in case anyone's watching. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I don't, I didn't need to do that. Um, um, but yeah, the Serato, yeah, the jump was sort of like, yeah, that was already there ish. So, what would you say the highlight of your current YouTube career has been? Um, 
there's a few things which I really enjoyed uh, making and videoing. Obviously, Goodwood was a, was a great one. Gumball was a great one. Making an amphibious car was probably the most enjoyable um, video we ever did. That was really, really good fun. Um, Goodwood getting the car dirty, drifting the SVJ was really good fun, but scary. But then jumping the Strato was probably the best and worst day because it was amazing. I'm so glad I did it. But at the time, I've got people like, We've got a few people in our crew. There's um, main ones at the minute is Matt and Reese, and they haven't got the consequences in mind, so they're very keen to do stuff, and I want to do it, but I'm worried about breaking something. But somehow I still end up doing it and just thinking <laughs> I hope it's all right. <laughs> and so yeah, like that's, the Storato jump. The Storato was pretty. That went extremely wrong, extremely wrong. Yeah, that was... Uh, when they released that car, you must have thought, oh my God, yeah. I literally have to have that no matter what. Was that your reaction? Because you uh, spec your cars, am I right in saying you get them from El Eloise Saunas, Lamborghini, yeah, Tower right, Bridge yeah. Wells? That's it. I've seen a couple of videos of specking them there. So when did you ring her up and say, I must have to have this? She she told me Eloise is great and um, Stuart there. They're a great, they're a great bunch, great, a great place. Where I've got a good relationship with them. And I was at I was actually at Goodwood um, a few years ago, and the marketing guy um, came up to me and said, "We are building the perfect car for you." Um, and I didn't know what it was at the time. And then they told me about it when they could. Um, but yeah, sort of like she did say that we've got the, the the car for you. But to be fair, I was already pretty much doing everything that car's meant to do <laughs> in an SVJ. So like all it is now, I've got something which is cheating really. Well, you know, when somebody does a, like somebody does a donut in one of them now and thinks, oh my God, this, but yeah, that's, that's what it's meant to do. So sort of like, I like to, I think like what we touched on earlier, I like to do stuff which shouldn't be done in that. So if I can get something and do something which everyone thinks I don't think that's capable of it and then we manage it to do it but yeah the Strato jump um we were sort of like smoothing all the track out that day and we had to film that jump to get the video out on that night and Grant was doing the sort of smoothing the takeoff off and then we went up in the van it's in the video and we got there and I was like oh that looks steep and I thought, that's probably not ideal. But for some reason, I still did it. And even when I go up there now and look at the jump, I think to myself, why? Like, it was quite obvious <laughs> what was going to happen. Then tying back to about 20, 30 minutes ago when you said, if I see a jump, I will just I'll jump it. <laughs> but like, I knew that jump was wrong for a car. I knew it was like, I know what a jump looks like for a car. I understand engineering and physics now to understand how to jump a car. And I remember looking at it thinking, that's not going to go well. And I actually hit it slower than what I thought I needed to as sort of like just a bit of a tester. And then when I was in the air and I thought, oh shit, this isn't going to go well. Do you think it was going to fully flip? Yeah, because it, like, it, it went up and I, didn't, I couldn't really tell how high it had gone because it was all a little bit of a rush and a little bit of a madness. And then I remember seeing a lot of the ground through the windscreen because obviously as a rule, you can't see much out there. And I remember seeing a lot of dirt and I thought, this isn't, this isn't good. And I knew it was a, a very bad angle. And then the bang from inside the car was like, oh, my God. And I got out of it just assuming there wasn't going to be a lot left at the front. I just thought, like, 
I fucked it. <laughs> testament to Lamborghini. When I came around the front of the car, I was pleasantly surprised that there was still a front end attached. And there was a few things. To start with, we thought there was nothing wrong with it. And I thought, how the hell have I got away with that? But I didn't realise how big the jump was. And then when they all, like Jane came over and said, look, that was ridiculous. And I was thinking, for her to say that, she's she, she seen me do some silly things and some see me jump a long, like much further in a car, uh, like in a buggy. But obviously for her to say that about, I knew it was bad. And then we looked back at the footage and I was like, oh yes, that was brilliant. <laughs> that was That's, worth every that, single bit. Exactly that. And then when you looked at the car, I was like, yeah, and it's fine. And then obviously, obviously thinking that shouldn't, be there and that's a little bit different to what it should be but it was easily fixed you see in this cool kind of car in this environment you seem very cool very calm very collected very together everything you spoke about slightly being maybe a little bit embarrassed by some of the amazing collection that you've amounted over the years uh, uh how it's come about I feel like there's a storm quietly raging in a part of your brain <laughs> which just comes out with these absolutely mad ideas and then just goes do it is that kind of how, what happens? By, I'm not sure when this is going to go out, but you won't see the, we're doing a Tesla Cybertruck and it is going to be unbelievable. Well, how the hell have you got your hands on one of those? <laughs> You'll have to wait and see. But it's um, like the plan we've got for this car, which is, it's like, yeah. So, so it's like, you are right. There's some of the things, like I say, we've got a great team around us. Even Jane has like a massive input and we sort of sit down and come up with these ideas and then sort of like execution is real difficult because I've got more than a full-time job. So if I was a professional YouTuber, like some of the ideas we've got would be even better. You know, we could do some much better videos if we had time. Um, so time is always a, a big, so some of the things which come into my head and so come into the the, the the guys around me who are going to do it, unfortunately, we can't do because it's, yeah, too time consuming. What would mean you could do it? Um, if you decided, you know what, I really flipping enjoy doing this. I'm quite good at this, you know. Would you ever take that step to do it? Um, if my brother wanted out, then yes, but I wouldn't go without him going. So if we for say sold the business, then yes, I'd love, I, I would like to do that because I don't really want to come to work and I do enjoy doing YouTube videos and I enjoy spending time with Reese and I enjoy spending time with Matt. So if I'd much rather do that, but I'm also aware that what we've got at work pays for, you know, YouTube, everyone thinks that YouTubers make a million pounds. And my God, as you know, they definitely do not. The, the odd one does. You know, there's a few people we've talked about already who do really, really well. <clears throat> and we do okay. We're starting to do okay now. But, you know, we're not all professional footballers. It, fun, it funds the costs of running the channel. Exactly that, you know. And probably it started to now, but it owes me a lot of money, you know, because we started it as a business. And because I hoped that it would make money and I wanted to, all the money I was spending, I wanted to try and get back. Um, right now, it probably wipes its own nose, but it doesn't do any more than that. Um, but over the last two years, you know, we've, like it's cost. And and that's, that's where I'm really lucky. And that's why I feel that we have got a niche because not everybody has the, you know, the, the amazing things I've got around me 
and not as lucky as privileged as what I have. So it's very difficult to replicate what we do. You know, it's very difficult for anyone to replicate. And that's why I think our channel does okay because it's very unique and we're not copying every, anybody or, you know, it's, we do our own thing. Um, so yeah, I think we've got a little bit of a gap, but going full-time YouTuber, I'd love to, um, probably a bit old now, you know, I've got to think it's hard. Like we had a real tough night last night, up really late, put a video out, didn't do great numbers. And as you know, it's so disappointing and it really took the wind out of myself. So if you'd have come yesterday, I'd have been a lot more up for doing full-time YouTube than I am today. <laughs> it's like it, it's like those sales numbers at work. I remember when I used to go to our local pub and my dad would be sat in the corner when I was growing up. And every day at precisely 5.05, he would have a spreadsheet come through, which would be the daily sales for the company. And at that point, he'd either buy the whole bar a drink or he'd pack up and leave. And it was mad. And you'd know just at that moment, they'd all hear his email go off. If it was that, and I've actually found that the, the closest thing I can kind of find to that in my life is YouTube views because it's when you wake oh. up the next morning or you put the video out and it starts ranking. It's amazing what that does it's to horrible. you. It's horrible. Like, I remember the worst thing about YouTube used to be the, the, we have very, very few odd, like, bad comments. Very, very few. You have, you, and you have idiots who are personal. Now I'm I'm fine with people saying I don't enjoy your content or this or that, but when they they do personal things about your looks or your weight or your features, then I've got like I literally instantly delete and hide them from the channel. Like I don't take no shit if people if people are rude and nasty about any of me or my friends, then they're gone. Or fellow YouTubers if they're sort of rude and uh, but that's that's one thing. But um, watching numbers is unhealthy and it's something I do and I Same. do badly. And like the, the video went up last night and I was so, we put so much effort into this video for last night and I was like, yeah, this is a good one. This is a good one. 10 out of 10. And for people who, who haven't got their own YouTube channel, 10 out of 10 sounds good. 10 out of 10 is the opposite of good. One out of 10 is what's good. And I remember looking them, all of us are deflated. It's not just me. It's Jane. It's Reese. It's Matt. We're all, it's horrible. Does that make you feel hungry though? Do you know what? It, what's difficult about YouTube is in life, in my life, I tend to get out what I put in so I can come to work, work really hard and you can earn money or more money. And at racing, I can try really hard. I can train, I can practice, I can do boogie prep and do better. With YouTube, it doesn't work like that. You can do an amazing amazing content episode whatever you want to call it and then somehow it misses the algorithm or whatever it is because like last night great video and we can see from impressions don't want to bore everybody about this but impressions it shows how many people youtube has shown it to the reach and it was like a quarter of usual and so you're never going to get the views because people don't they can't see it unless they search Mark McCann on that day, they don't even know we've put a video out and I don't understand why that's, but it's like, it's, it's not exactly like I'm, I'm not ill or anything like, you know, my family isn't falling apart. It's not exactly devastating news, but it is hard. It's horrible. And especially when you put so much effort in, we really try to make good content and entertaining content. And when we do, 
but people, not that people don't like it, people haven't even seen it or had the chance to see it. But, but then you've got to get... put your feet back on the ground and make, remember what you said about 40 minutes ago, which is how many people would actually die to be in the position of where the channel is now. And in a short space of time, I can definitely see that channel going to the next level. If you had one piece of advice for your younger self when you started, I'd say kind of 25 onwards from your journey with with work, with everything you've done automotive, you're clearly not not fussed about going back and fixing broken bones, but what what would it be if you could have done learned to deal with something or be a little bit better at something? What would you tell yourself? Um, with work, probably not much. Um, I feel we've done... I feel that I should have slowed down a little bit, not been hungry for nice things, not strive for so many things. Maybe we've got we've got guys who work for us here, great great guys, and the difference in their life and their life goals is huge. They don't have the opportunities like you know we've had, including yourself, but they don't also want for as much. So. Say we've got, we finish at five and I say to them, do you want to work half hour extra? And they get obviously paid for that. And they go, no, I'm right. You know, they don't, their life at five o'clock, they leave here. They don't have to worry about it. They don't have to worry about the electric to being paid or the rent or people's wages or if the phone rings tomorrow, they haven't got those worries. Yes, they don't live in a, a, a house like we're so privileged to have or have the cars we're privileged to have but their life is a lot different and a lot less stressful. Now, are they enjoying their life as much? Is their, is their journey in life going to be just as good as ours? Where we've got these amazing things, but we've got also all the pressure and the graft and the stress. And uh, I always feel that I didn't know my dad very well because he made, and this is what I say about business, it's the sacrifices. He made a lot of sacrifices in his family and his well-being and his time to have an improved life and the, the greatest currency is time and I have no time so am I the poor man do you know what I was actually really pondering this question the other day which is what's the point of it all yeah which because and it comes back to why I asked whether you enjoyed what you did for work, because I, I can honestly say that I do enjoy the journey I'm on with uh, podcasts, which is a form of work with how I put the business back to my amazing digital marketing agency, Tweak. And I don't know whether it's because of my age, because I'm at that point where everything's starting to move again. But I, I do really enjoy it. But I still can't help myself that no matter what goal there is, I'll just set another one, set another one, set another one, set another one. And some of the stuff that I then reel off, I can hear myself saying it sometimes. I think, bloody hell, like to 21 else, you must sound absolutely nuts. Like, why? Why are you doing this? What do you think is that? Is that why? Why do we keep doing it? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know whether it's, it, it's probably just the way we've been brought up, you know, and um, always wanting to get to that next level or buy that next thing. Do we need it? No. Nope. But would you change it? No, no. no. And I um, think that's a great way. I, th I think with, my, with my, what I've learned from my dad and sort of um, what happened with my dad and the sort of like the, the what's been left behind, then I don't think I've always made the right decisions in the way I've, 
wanted for more and work like I have. <clears throat> it's... Well, I think that's a brilliant way to wrap up the episode. I think that's going to give people a real insightful um look into your makeup, everything that's made you Mark McCann, the craziness that storms in the back of your brain. I'm going to summarize it like that. And I think you should give yourself a huge amount of credit for everything you've done and everything you've achieved. And I have no doubt that you'll be sat here again opposite me when your channel does hit a million subs, the next big thing because of how different and how flamboyant you're doing everything. So thank you very thank much you. for taking brought, the time to come on, Mark. I brought you a hat. You got me a hat. Do you know Sorry, what? Steve. No, do you know what? Actually, I think I'm actually going to do something. You mentioned that the guy in the corner that yep. helps with all of these podcasts. I think this is episodes, the right thing to do. Never gets a proper mention. So Bold Steve, also known as Bold Bricks on YouTube, he gets pissed on Thatchers and builds Lego cars. <laughs> I'm going to gift him this hat. So make sure you go and follow Bold Bricks. Thank you for watching this episode. Please like and subscribe, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. <laughs>